Welcome back to the Midday Special. I, Kayla Jackson, and Cheyenne Jarrett will be your hosts for today's show. Today's show includes stories on March break, the UFC 258, Black History Month, music, and more. Let's start with the news. For today's COVID-19 update, 945 cases of COVID-19 were reported in Ontario today, along with 18 COVID-related deaths. The weekly average number of cases in Ontario is now 1,264. 8% of cases have been linked to travel, while the other 10% of cases were untraceable. Over 4,300 of COVID-19 tests are underway in Ontario at this moment as well. Ontario Premier Doug Ford says that all long-term care patients in the province have now been given their first dose of the vaccine, although there were reports that some long-term care facilities are still waiting for the shots to be administered. March break is being postponed until April 12th. The decision to postpone March break comes just days before students in Toronto, York, and Peel regions will return to in-person learning. Students from 13 public health units returned to the classroom on Monday, and around 280,000 students returned on February 1st. Students in the province's three COVID-19 hotspots will be back in class after Family Day on February 16th. Ontario's COVID-19 state of emergency expired on Tuesday, and the province is transitioning back to the color-coded framework to ease restrictions based on COVID-19 case counts in the respective regions. Some have applauded the province's approach to gradual easing of COVID-19 measures, though many are worried it could lead to another wave of surging cases. Online learning has become one of the most troubling aspects of the pandemic. Sean Lee, a second-year student at Seneca College, discusses how his experiences with online learning have changed how he learns and gives some advice to students entering college. Michael Mincinicas reports. Sean Lee described his online learning experience to be eye-opening. As prior to the pandemic, he was unable to do any work at home because it was simply too distracting for him. Overall, he's seen a lot of growth come from the work setting. Personally, online learning has been a very good experience for me. I've been able to really uh, hone in on my skills online and my uh, work ethic at home because uh, previous to, to all this, I was uh, very unclear of what to do while I was at home and this really built up my strength. Lee then went on to provide some advice for students going into post-secondary as he knows that it's a tough time for them and with everything going on right now, the decision can be tougher. For those going into college or university, just coming out of high school, I would personally recommend trying to find and hone, hone in on something that you personally really enjoy, that you have a passion for, making your experience throughout college or university really, really enjoyable. He hopes that during the pandemic, kids have gotten more of a chance to think about what they enjoy and what they might be able to pursue a career over. He's confident that online learning will become more refined as time goes on, and it will become easier for people to work around the many issues it presents. In Brooklyn, Ontario, this is Michael Mincinicus reporting for the Midday Special. Durham Region is facing criticism for their recent Black History Month scavenger hunt. Here's Stacy with the story. Durham Region is under fire for a scavenger hunt created for Black History Month. According to photos of the activity posted on social media by Desmond Cole, a Toronto-based journalist, author, and activist, the scavenger hunt included hacks like dancing to reggae music, talking to a Black employee, and cooking an African meal. Some have called it a slap in the face and an attempt to undermine black history and people. The Durham region later responded to a tweet regarding the event saying, 
Through engaging with the community and regional staff, we acknowledge that mistakes will be made when addressing anti-Black racism. In a second statement, the region of Durham said, we recognize that missteps were made with this virtual challenge. For that, we apologize and we will continue to do better. A big downfall in country music for Morgan Wallen. After releasing his new album earlier this year, Morgan Wallen is facing heat. Kayla Jackson reports. Last Wednesday, Morgan Wallen was suspended by his record label and his music removed from radio stations around the world after a video was captured of him saying very offensive words and using racial slurs. IR Media, one of the country's top radio stations, pulled his music immediately, as did several others such as Sirius XM. CMT stopped playing his music on all television and digital platforms, and the Country Music Association followed suit. Morgan Wallen is not eligible for any upcoming award shows as said by the academic of country music. Big Loud, which was his independent label in Nashville, said that the decision to suspend him was because of the recent events. Republic Record, who also promotes Wallen, supports this decision. Wallen released a statement apologizing for his actions, saying, quote, I'm embarrassed and sorry. I used an unacceptable and inappropriate racial slur that I wish I could take back. There are no excuses to use this type of language, ever. I want to sincerely apologize for using the word. I promise to do better. End quote. Billboard reports that his latest album sold 2,500 copies during the week ending February 4th which is an increase of 102% according to the MRC data. There is no news on whether Wallen will be given a second chance with his label or not. From Simcoe County, reporting for Midday Special, I am Kayla Jackson. The Cultural Expressions Art Gallery in Durham Region holds a Black History event at the beginning of every February. It is the largest and longest-running Black History celebration in Durham Region. It's free of charge and open to the public. This year, due to COVID-19, the celebration looked very different. On Saturday, February 6, the gallery held a virtual event to stay safe while following lockdown protocols and still recognize the Durham Region Black community. The gallery held the event through a live stream. They had performances by artists, poets, comedians, and much more. The 14th annual Black History Month celebration, the Feast of Black Excellence, was an experience to remember. Now for music news. Here's Julia Griffith-Ross with a special album anniversary. Fifty years ago, singer-songwriter Carole King released her sophomore album, Tapestry. This album remains to this day as one of the best-selling albums of all time, with over 25 million records sold worldwide. It was one of only 94 RIAA Diamond certified albums. It stayed at number one on the Billboard 200 for 15 weeks, which made her the woman with the most non-executive weeks at number one. It was a record she held for over 20 years, but in 1993 was surpassed by Whitney Houston and the Bodyguard soundtrack. Along with all that, King was the first woman to win all three major awards in one night at the 1972 Grammy Awards. She won Album of the Year, Song of the Year, and Record of the Year. It received critical acclaim from music critics and has stood the test of time. From Oshawa, Ontario, I'm Shalil Griffith-Ross, reporting for Midday Special. Here's Mitchell with the 7-day forecast. Today we'll see below freezing temperatures with a high of minus 4 during the day with some overcast skies and a chance for flurries. Tonight will be a low of minus 17. Tomorrow the cold continues with partial clouds. The temperature will reach a high of minus 8 and a low of minus 16. 
Saturday sees more cloudy skies during the day with a 60% chance of snow in the evening. It will be a cold day with a high of minus 8 and a low of minus 12. Sunday will be partly cloudy with a high of minus 4 and a low of minus 12. Monday will have sun with partial cloud cover with a chance of a winter storm in the evening. Winds will reach more than 20 kilometers an hour. It will be a cold family day with only a high of minus 7 and a low of minus 11. Tuesday has a high chance of a snowstorm in the afternoon with winds reaching 30 kilometers per hour. The cold continues with a high of minus 5 and a low of minus 10. Wednesday will see sun in the morning, but clouds will roll in later in the day, giving us a cloudy night. Expect a high of minus 3 and a low of minus 8. From Bowmanville, I'm Mitchell Reed with the Midday Special. Violence against women is an even bigger problem this year with the lockdown trapping women at home with their abusers. We talked to an Oshawa abused women's shelter on how they are dealing with the pandemic. Here's Stacy with the story. Women in Canada live at great risk of domestic violence, sexual assault, and sexual harassment. Approximately every six days, a woman in Canada is killed by her intimate partner. The Denise House is a shelter in Oshawa for abused women. We talked to Dennis Sicard, the community connector for the Denise House, about how the pandemic and lockdown affected the shelter and the residents living there. Can you hear me? Uh, yes, I can hear you. Okay, okay, because I'm just having a little bit of um, trouble hearing you. Okay. But, uh, yes, there's definitely been um, changes um, that we've had to put in place um, since the pandemic started. Um, just to name a few, um, we've had to put uh, into place infection prevention and control measures. So, you know, extra enhanced cleaning um, for the actual um, shelter itself, the areas, the rooms, um, not to mention the extra hand washing for our staff and residents, um, and hand sanitizer, mm-hmm. um, extra signage all around the whole shelter that includes, you know, the offices and the residents um, area as well. The plexiglass um, dividers that we've um, had to put in place when we run our programs, you know, sticking with adherence to social distancing and um, all the PPE that we um, have to wear um, with regards to that. Um, And of course, you know, trying to trying to like think outside the box and try to make bring some virtual programs in when we can't have a lot of. Um, you know, women um, at one time um, in a room because of the physical physical distancing challenges that we have here. How has the pandemic affected, like, staff interactions with the residents? Honestly, Stacey, it really hasn't had any um, derogatory effect. Our our staff, I mean, we were almost, almost getting to the point where we're fully staffed again. Um, But we've been, you know, our staff was cut in half back in March, um, when the initial initial state of emergency went into place, yeah. and uh, for about probably the first four or five months, we were we you know we had very um, low staffing um, here. However, we also had um, we didn't have um, a lot of residents either, so it really did balance out. And our staff is very um, they're very professional, and we're very proud of the way they've handled themselves all through this. Um, sure, there's some you know, extra levels of anxiety because everybody's dealing with this on their own, even the staff, right? They go home to their families, they come and work in a a vulnerable sector. So, you know, but they have stepped up to the plate and they've been amazing. And there have not been any instances where there's been interactions that have not, like that have not been what they've always been, I guess, for lack of a better term. Um, How has the pandemic affected, like, resident interactions, like, we with each other? 
again, again, I have to say, like in the beginning, it was a little harder. Um, you know, when we, when, when, because I mean, everybody, all of us globally, we were in a, in a new world, right? Nobody really knew what was happening and how we were going to handle this and what was going to result as a, a, what was going to, you know, what result was going to come out of this. And even if we were going to be safe and, you know, people were like, oh my goodness, I'm going to die. And there was a lot of mass confusion. So that was no different here. I mean, the residents, you know, there was a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear around that. You can imagine, you know, these women come from trauma and they're already full of anxiety and fear and, and trepidation. So to add something like that to their lives is really not easy. Um, you know, there there was maybe a couple of minor incidents between the residents, but that goes all the way back to the very beginning in March and April when when everybody everybody was on heightened awareness, you know, and, and so much uncertainty. Um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, within, you know, a few weeks, that kind of all got settled and everything. And, and I, again, I, I really have to credit our staff for that. Um, I really do have to credit our staff for being able to actually handle those situations um, with candor and and professionalism. Um, so yeah, I mean it's business as usual here. There's really everybody comes in now; they know what to expect. Um, and uh, yeah, right. I think that's great because especially when you're in that vulnerable situation, like connection with people really helps a lot. But, yes, yeah, that's awesome. Yes, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Good. Um, something you just said, like, led me to my next question. Like, has there been an increase or decrease in the number of women seeking refuge in the shelter since the pandemic started? Now yeah. Now people stuck at home with their abuses. Yeah. So that's 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 a really good question, and I I know that different shelters are experiencing different sorry, different areas. Um, like you know, are are experiencing different um levels um. Um, in that regard, us here in the Durham region, um, well, when, okay, so because we have to abide by social distancing, you can understand we have 11 bedrooms, but there are 27 beds in those 11 bedrooms. Mm-hmm. We have a very small communal um, um, living room with one TV where families can gather. And, and you know, prior to the pandemic, for the most part, we were very often at um, full capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, beds still being requested. Then the pandemic hit, um, you know, it took, it, took, it took months for the government and us to all figure this out, all these vulnerable sectors, but we currently have been operating at half the capacity. So basically what that means is we're mandated by public health and the ministry, we cannot have 27 women in our facility. We can only have a maximum, sorry, residents, not women. We can only, we can have a, we have to have only a maximum of 14 right now because we are considered congregated living because of the communal areas. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in, you know, in, with, you could have two families at any given time in the past in one room, right? You can't, we can't have that anymore because of the physical distancing um, rules that are in place. So, um, in the very beginning, March, April, May, like when it first happened, every, the, the phones were eerily quiet. And I think that was because everybody was like afraid. They didn't know what to do. And nobody wanted to come to a shelter, I don't think, because they thought if they came to a shelter, they may end up with COVID, mm-hmm. right? Because there was so much uncertainty out there. That really worried us because, you know, prior to that, we were getting a lot of calls 
So why all of a sudden have the calls stopped? Then as, you know, the months went on and people became more accustomed to it and understanding more about it. And of course, we are saying that we are, you know, we've remained COVID free. The calls started picking up again. And then they started picking up very aggressively because, you know, there's, as you very well know, a lot of people lost their jobs. And now, unfortunately, she's at home 24-7 with her abuser. And you know, realistically, the only time she'd probably ever get to be able to make calls for support is when he was at work, yeah. right? So um, so it's hard. So what I'm trying to say is because there's so many different variables out there, it, it, we can't, it, it's hard. I can't pinpoint it to exactly why calls, you know, weren't coming in and then why they were coming in. These are all just real I guess, guesses Mm -hmm. until stats start coming out as a result of this, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah, in our particular region, um, well, I'll give you an example. Since we brought, had to bring our capacity down from 27 to 14, Mm -hmm. we've pretty much been sitting at around the 12 to 14 residents since then. Um, So right now we have, for right now, we have 13 residents here. So what happens uh, if you're at full capacity and um, somebody calls you, do you like refer them to? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We all work together. All the shelters um, in the regions work together. We will refer um, as much as we possibly can for sure. Okay. Okay. I added one question and uh, because I... I followed you on um, Instagram and you. Oh, wonderful! Yeah, I I see a lot of like fundraising stuff on there. So like, yeah. is there any fundraising events coming up? And if yes, are they going to be virtual? So that's a very good question. We uh, don't have any virtual events planned yet. Um, you will see that the two that were um, recent ones uh, were held by third parties, mm-hmm. which was, uh, again, like I say, the, the, the community stepping up to the plate. We feel so blessed about that. Mm-hmm. Um, we, my, 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 my challenge is trying to figure out, put together a virtual fundraiser, but also a virtual fundraiser that, um, how should I say this? Um, there's some out there that are like, okay, that wouldn't, that wouldn't, for us, it wouldn't suit our sector. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so uh, my, my, because I am the fund development um, um, person, I'm responsible for bringing in the money that the government doesn't provide because we don't get enough money from the government to sustain ourselves. So that's why I'm here because I have to bring in the extra percentage money in order to continue to sustain and to, and to, and to you know work with donors and 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 really work hard with donor stewardship and 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 hope you know hope that they continue to donate and and funds and again that's not enough so you know we've had an annual um, we had a, our amazing gala last just like literally a day before we went into the state of emergency mm-hmm. um it was held it was a beautiful beautiful event and um that really like it just happened just under the wire and we were so blessed that we were able to have that because that brought in a substantial amount and now we're faced with this year not being able to do that in person event so yes i have been um, doing a lot of research. I'm in the middle right now of putting together our fundraising plan because we're coming up to the end of our fiscal year. Okay. And that's just, you know, that's, that's, that's my biggest challenge right now is finding not only, not only can we do a virtual event, but what would be the right type of a, a virtual event for a violence against women's sector. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
very much. And my last question, um, what permanent changes do you see the pandemic having on the way the shelter is run? I think the biggest thing is basically just the, the, the struggle around the social distancing. Mm-hmm. Um, the PPE is not a huge problem. We are so used to wearing our masks and our um, um, face, uh, face shields um, and using gloves when we need to. We're so used to that now because we do it not only at the shelter, but in our regular personal life, yeah. right? So that obviously, I mean, I, I just, I, I don't even know if that's ever going to go away. Um, but I think the biggest things is, is the social distancing and, um, uh, just people are just, I think, I believe people are just going to be a lot more careful with getting too close to people. Um, you know, with hugging people with, um, you know, it's, the the challenging thing, a challenging thing about it is, you know, when you have little kids around, they, they're all about love and light, right? All they want to do is hug and be happy and, and sing out loud. And so, you know, that's, that's, that's more of a challenging thing than anything. Not when one of the children wants to run up to me and give me a hug and, you know, we're not supposed to do that. Right. In, 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 in a pandemic. So yeah, I, um, as far as permanent, I don't think that the plexiglass or the social distancing signs, like we have the, the, the circles on the floor, can't have too many people in the, this particular room at any given time. I think that's all going to stay. Um, and yeah, so this whole physical distancing thing, I think in order to keep society healthy, mm-hmm. um, is, I, I believe is, is going to be the biggest permanent change. Okay. Yeah. Thank you very much. This was a was nice talking to you. Yeah, and great. Good luck with everything, and I hope you do well. Um, and I'm glad I I'm, I'm I hope you got something out of this, and I'm glad that I could yeah. help. And after a year and a half, some good news for Raptors president Nazai Ujiri. Stacy Karamu reports. Alan Strickland, the Alameda County Sheriff's deputy who was seen shoving Toronto Raptors president Masai Ujiri after the team beat the Golden State Warriors in the 2019 NBA Finals, dropped his federal lawsuit against Ujiri on Wednesday, according to 680 News. The incident occurred June 13th after the Raptors won Game 6 of the 2019 NBA Finals against the Warriors at Oakland's Orco Arena. In the now widely circulated video, Ujiri can be seen walking towards Strickland as he makes his way onto the basketball court to celebrate. Ujiri looks to be taking out his credentials when Strickland appears to shove Ujiri in the chest. The two exchange words only for Ujiri to be shoved again. He then pushes Strickland back. The footage ends shortly after that. Ujiri has also retracted his countersuit against Strickland. Sunday was one of the year's biggest sports games, the Super Bowl. The Buccaneers won against the Kansas City Chiefs, 31-9. Nishaya Carvalho reports. The team made history that day. They haven't won a Super Bowl since 2003, and Coach Bruce Arians is the oldest to hold a ring at 68. Super Bowl 55 included Jasmine Sullivan, who sang the national anthem, and Amanda Gorman, who recited Chorus of the Captains. The weekend performed at the halftime and sang some of his hit songs like Blinding Lights and Earned It. (laughs) 
Tom Brady now has seven Super Bowl rings, giving him more than any other player or franchise team. The team celebrated yesterday with a floating parade, and Tom Brady seemed to be enjoying it all. Reporting for Midday Special from Ajax, Nishaya Carvalho. UFC 258 takes place on Saturday, February 13th at the UFC Apex in Las Vegas. McLean Hoover has more details on the event. UFC 258 is the next big event in the UFC lineup for 2021. With a match between welterweight champion Kamura Usman and Gilbert Burns heading the night, and co-main Alexa Grasso fighting Macy Barber in a women's flyweight matchup, the night should hold some excitement for fans. Gilbert Burns is a plus 230 underdog. This could be his time to upset fans of Usman while also getting the championship belt around his waist. The prelims begin at 8 p.m. Saturday, while the main card starts at 10 p.m. For the Midday Special, reporting from Bancroft, Ontario, I'm McLean Hoover. Thank you all for tuning in to the Midday Special this week. This broadcast is brought to you by the first-year students of the Durham College Journalism Program. That wraps up the news for today. Tune in next week for more updates and breaking stories.